Jesus has told his followers of his impending departure from them. He has told them that he is going through resurrection and ascension to the Father to prepare a place of permanent fellowship for them. He will return to take them there, a place where there is ample room, as many believe. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to John. Glory Glory to you, Lord Christ. Jesus said, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. This is the Spirit of Truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, because he abides with you, and he will be in you. I will not leave you orphaned. I am coming to you. In a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. They who have made my commandments and keep them are those who love me, and those who love me will be loved by my Father, and I will love them and reveal myself to them. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise to you, Lord Christ. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. What therefore you worship as unknown, I proclaim to you, the God who made the world and everything in it, who is Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in shrines made by human hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives all mortals life and breath and all things. As a boy, I remember very much enjoying the stories of myths. I was really into stories of Zeus, Poseidon, Hades, the Greek heroes like Theseus who defeated the Minotaur in the labyrinth, or Perseus who defeated the serpent-headed Medusa, decapitating her as a threat to humanity. I remember reading stories about Icarus and Daedalus, how they would fly away after designing the labyrinth of Minos in Crete, and Icarus flying too close to the sun and his wax wings falling apart, crashing into the water. And it seemed like there was something ennobling, something about the Greek myths that would challenge humanity, would challenge each of us to be greater, to strive for noble endeavors, to follow quests that are grander in scale and vision than the ordinary day-to-day existence of a third grader in Reisterstown. 
And I went from there to the Norse myths like Odin and Loki and Baldur and stories about Thor throwing Mjolnir, that, that hammer. And it looks like Marvel Comics picked that up and made movies and inspired children even beyond Reisterstown. And eventually, I kind of got into the Egyptian stories of Anubis. And in fact, at one of my first parishes, a parishioner gave me as a gift the Book of the Dead, which is the story of how somebody in Egypt mainly a famous and powerful pharaoh could cultivate his own life and immortality after death. And it seemed to me that the stories of these myths always would challenge us, as I said, to reach for the stars, to have quests and adventures that were so grand and so noble and by following the fate that we were given by these pagan gods that somehow we would excel and we would be grander than we ordinarily would be. But of course then I grew up and realized that these pagan gods and Greek myths are for, you know, those backward, ignorant, foolish, primitive people. They may as well worship rocks and all kinds of silly little things. And so I put aside my interest in Greek myths. We may have a self satisfaction also about the pagan universe, the pagan world that we who are enlightened by the monotheism, the belief in one God, that we have surpassed that ignorant and primitive world. Just like Paul in the Areopagus wanting not to place the God of Israel and the God of Jesus Christ next to and in competition with Zeus and Hades and Hera and Hestia, but to obliterate the pantheon altogether and to say the God of Israel, the God of Jesus Christ, is the only God there is. I would suggest that the pagan world was very much desperate, was very much in need of the light and the enlightenment that the belief in one God could offer. I would suggest that the pagan world of Zeus, Poseidon, Hades, or Thor, Loki, Balder, or Anubis and all of them is actually a terrifying universe to inhabit, and perhaps one that we really haven't abandoned, believe it or not. In an interview with David Simon, the writer of The Wire, 
they talked to him about his inspiration for the stories in The Wire. And he wrote or responded, another reason the show The Wire may feel different than a lot of television, our model is not quite as Shakespearean as other high-end HBO fare. The Sopranos and Deadwood, two shows that I do admire, offer a good deal of Macbeth or Richard III or Hamlet in their focus on the angst and machinations of the central characters. Tony Soprano, Al Swearingen. And most of our modern theater seems rooted in the Shakespearean discovery of the modern mind. We, the writers of The Wire, we're stealing from an earlier, less traveled construct, the Greeks, lifting our thematic stance wholesale from Aeschylus, Sophocles, Euripides, to create doomed and fated protagonists who confront a rigged game and their own mortality. The modern mind, particularly those of us in the West, finds such fatalism ancient and discomforting, I think. We're a pretty self-actualized, self-worshipping crowd of postmoderns, and the idea that for all our wherewithal and discretionary income and leisure, we're still fated by indifferent gods seems to us antiquated and superstitious. We don't accept our gods on such terms anymore. And by and large, with the exception of the fundamentalists among us, we don't even grant Yahweh himself that type of unbridled interventionist authority. But instead of the old gods, the wire is a Greek tragedy in which the postmodern institutions are the Olympian forces. It's the police department, or the drug economy, or the political structures, or the school administration, or the macroeconomic forces that are throwing lightning bolts and hitting people in the butt for no decent reason. And in this drama, the institutions always appear larger. And those characters with hubris enough to challenge the postmodern construct of American empire are invariably mocked, marginalized, or crushed. Great tragedy for the new millennium, so to speak. He did a great job of describing not only the contemporary Greek pagan gods that capture our attention in this culture, but also the horror of living under the indifferent, the apathetic will of these gods who don't really care much about us. Instead, we worship the stock market or the market itself. Is the market happy today? Is it happy with this decision from Congress? Our gods are things like the healthcare system. Have you ever tried to find something in a hospital? It's like navigating a labyrinth or a medieval cathedral. Perhaps our priests are doctors, nurses, people who are researching the cures to COVID, HIV, cancer, 
Perhaps we feel that we're just subject to these forces like national security and how we sacrifice our children in the military to them. So instead of Zeus every once in a while riding down from Olympus to mate with a beautiful maiden or Poseidon throwing his trident at the ships that are on the Mediterranean, maybe we feel at the random and the indifferent universe of economic, political, social forces that just don't care about us. And you know, maybe that's why books by people like H.P. Lovecraft are so popular. You know, that cosmology, the Cthulhu myth about that there exists in this massive, unbounded universe. We're just on this tiny, tiny ball of the blue marble, as Carl Sagan would say. And that Adonai Elohimhu, the God of Israel, who created this vast universe, would care about this tiny life form humanity in this vast uncaring universe seems almost laughable and yet terrifying to think that we're alone in this indifferent uncaring vast universe of ours that's the worldview Paul walked into when he went into the Areopagus to proclaim the God of Israel and the God of Jesus Christ, to say, you do not have to fear a universe where horrible tragedy will unfold to you without any expectation. You know, we had the tornado just a few, uh, what, about six weeks ago in uh, Caroline County, and Craig and I, as we drive in, we still see the damage that was done to it. Why would this house get destroyed by a tornado and the neighbor's house not get destroyed? What reason, what rationality, what could explain that? The universe is scary, indifferent, just doesn't care about us, and bad things are going to happen whether we're good people or not. That is the pagan universe. But into that pagan universe, Paul walked into the Areopagus, the Harvard Law faculty of the ancient world, or the intellectual academy, and proclaimed that the God of Israel, the God that is one, created all of us, and even more covenanted with each one of us that the God of Israel, the God of Jesus Christ, loved us into existence. And that love creates all the good things that we sing about in our entrance hymn, all things bright and beautiful, all things that are in creation. That's why Jewish people every day begin with the words on their lips, Shema o Israel, God is one. Because we worship a God of providence. 
a God who desires to be in relationship with us. And as Jesus would explain to his followers, the God of Israel loves us so much that he often uses the imagery of a marriage. God is married to us. God is jealous when we turn our eyes toward Zeus, Poseidon, or that scary, indifferent universe. God desires to be with us so deeply that God not only set up his tabernacle with us, leading the Hebrews out of slavery in Egypt by the cloud of his presence and dwelt with them in the desert, but the God of Israel became human and walked among us, suffered with us, would sweat with us, ate with us, and shared and invited people to table fellowship with him, and loved us even from the cross that we put him on with the love that is so powerful that it transcended even death, so that when he returned, to the people who betrayed and abandoned and ran away from him, the first words he said to his brothers and sisters were, peace be with you. That is a God, not of a terrifying, indifferent universe, but that is a God of love, of beauty, of truth. Shortly before he died, the theologian and civil rights activist Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel was asked if he had a message for young people. Heschel, as a rabbi, every day would wake, and his first words and his last words, Shema o Israel, Adonai Elomenhu, Hear, O Israel, God is one. And he said, let them remember there is meaning beyond absurdity. Let them be sure that every deed counts. Every word has power. And that we can do, everyone, our share to redeem the world. In spite of all the absurdities and all the frustrations and all the disappointment. And above all, Remember that the meaning of life is to build a life as if it were a work of art. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.